This is Parent Boss Leader. Parent, parent boss, boss leader, 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 leader. And here's your host. She's a courageous voice for women, parents, and modern workforce leaders alike. She's a keynote speaker and proud mother of two, the vice president of sales and strategy for ATR International, Laura R. Munson. Welcome to Parent Boss Leader, an interactive podcast series interviewing leaders across the globe who sometimes are parents. Today, we have a retired Navy SEAL with us. Come on, listen in, like, and subscribe. Um, thank you so much for being here today on Parent Boss Leader. I'm so thrilled to have you and learn from your experience in the military, mindfulness, artificial intelligence. But first, let's tell our listeners a little bit about your background and how you reached your current role. Yeah, sure. Well, thanks, Laura, for having me. And I've got to say, I love the idea behind your podcast because so many bosses and leaders are parents and vice versa. So it's it's great that you have this out there uh, because there is so much intersection between those different roles. So I'm, I'm very honored to be here and I'm glad that you reached out. As far as how I got into my current role, uh, you know, I, I did serve in the in the Navy. I served in the Navy for 24 years and 17 of that was as a Navy SEAL. And how I got into my current role. So my current role, there's actually several different current roles, which we're going to discuss several of those today, but specifically uh, working on mindfulness and leadership. And then the other side is working for 3D Media, which is a virtual reality and augmented reality company. And there's actually some overlap there as well, but between how those stories or those current roles came to be. So as far as teaching the the leadership, I, I, I was, I believe, uh, started to teach and learn leadership at a very young age. I was running track and cross country. And as a sophomore, I was made the, the captain of the cross country team. And my coach just told me that I, I had something in me that made me a leader. And so I, I stepped up to that plate as a very young guy, kind of leading uh, older guys on the team as well. But I very much fell into that leadership role. And as I graduated high school, I knew that I wanted to continue to lead. And so I went into the Navy uh, as an enlisted guy first, but got picked up for the Naval Academy, learned a lot of leadership there, both like the leadership that's actually formally taught and the leadership that come, kind of comes through you just through living amongst other leaders. And then went into the SEAL teams and had my ups and downs as a leader in the SEAL teams, learned my lessons along the way, had great leaders to learn from and not so great leaders to learn from. And from the great leaders, I learned what to do. And from the not so great leaders, I learned what not to do. And so now I've taken a lot of those lessons that I've learned formally and informally through my life. And I've imparted those on others or I want to anyhow. As far as the mindfulness side, mindfulness that's uh, you know the a key term that you hear thrown around quite often these days in in media. Well, mindfulness is really nothing more than being aware of your present moment, being in the moment, and aware of your emotions and physical uh, the physical feelings, and doing so without judgment. And I got introduced to that at in the latter part of my military career when I was struggling with my own anxiety and stress. And I was taught these skills to manage that anxiety and stress. Ironically, I'd been taught some of these skills on the shooting range to bring my heart rate down, to bring my respiratory rate down, but nobody had ever called it mindfulness. 
And then I took what I'd learned, funny enough, on the shooting range and started applying it in my life, my personal life, and it allowed me to heal mentally and emotionally. And I attribute mindfulness and meditation to not only changing my life for the better, but quite literally saving my life. So now I feel it's a duty and an obligation of sorts to share these life-saving practices with anyone and everyone who will listen. So that's the, the mindfulness and the leadership side. And now you're probably thinking, well, what, what does the virtual reality and augmented reality side have to do with it? Well, uh, a good friend of mine in Louisiana, I grew up in Louisiana, and I have a still a heart for Louisiana. I live currently in, live in Colorado Springs, but I still have a heart for the state of Louisiana. A good friend of mine founded 3D Media, which is a virtual reality, augmented reality company. And at one point, he reached out to me and was like, hey, I'd love you to come work for us in some capacity. And in my mind, the tech, the ones and zeros uh, behind virtual reality and augmented reality, I just didn't know enough, and I didn't feel as though I could contribute to the company. And about six months later, he reached back out and was like, hey, look, we've got uh, the, the business development lead, the, uh, that spot open. And that is a role that I felt that I could serve in, uh, serving in uh, you know, networking and uh, communicating with other organizations and other teams and other industries to see where we may be able to collaborate or support. So I said yes, and uh, you know the, the the rest is history. And funny enough, their 3D media is wanting to develop something that's in the mental health arena as well, as far as using VR and AR to do such. So there's a natural marriage there. Now I've since moved on. I'm still with 3D media, but I'm no longer their lead for business development. I'm now their leadership advisor and special projects advisor, um, and somebody else has taken on the the business development role, but I still help with that. And uh, I have a, a, a deep admiration for the for both groups there at 3D Media, both the people who work on kind of the administrative and leadership side, and those who work with the ones and zeros and know so much more about tech and AR and VR than I do. But happy to discuss it at the level that I'm able to, and I'm excited to get in this conversation. Oh my gosh, you have such a cool background. I think not only do you really show how much of a leader you've been, even from a young age. I think you offer a lot of hope for people even transitioning from military of how much is out there when they transition to corporate. So John, I wanted to touch on, maybe we'll go into AI a little bit, get some of your thoughts. I wanna dig more about you as a Navy SEAL commander. Everyone thinks (laughs) that's interesting. And then mindfulness. I think that's incredible that you started learning it or really thinking about it on the shooting range. That's so counterintuitive, counterintuitive but I've heard about that. But let's, I think first, let's jump into maybe the AI piece. Even myself, I've posted about it a lot recently because I'm in the yeah. staffing world. It's the new hotness. <laughs> it is. And it's kind of like the elephant in the room. Right. Everyone's asking, is my job going to be replaced by AI? I wanted to get sure. your thoughts kind of high level kind of see in that industry a bit, what do you think? What are your thoughts on the matter? Are they going to be replaced at work? Yeah. Um, short answer, a lot. A lot of people will be replaced by AI. I do believe that. Um, I think AI is is coming and we really can't fight it and it's going to change every one of our lives. Um, I think AI is going to replace a lot of jobs where there's not a whole lot of empathy or creativity or critical thinking, um, not a lot of problem solving skills, um, not a lot of interpersonal skills. 
uh, those jobs that kind of involve the human side, right? Um, I think AI is going to never replace those jobs, but I do believe that the the jobs that have um, routine tasks, those repetitive things that people do, I, I think they will ultimately be automated through AI. Um, so yes, there there's definitely going to piece be a piece of that. Um, yeah. Even even those people that do work in a job where there is a lot of critical thinking, problem solving, uh, those human roles, I think AI is going to change those jobs, maybe not replace them, but it's definitely going to change them. So even within those jobs, there still are tasks that are repetitive and uh, and might be able to be automated by a computer, uh, by AI. And um, that will allow us to focus on the more um, human aspects of our job. So I guess um, my advice to to stay competitive in that job market and and minimize the risk of being replaced by AI, um, it's it's essential to kind of focus on those human aspects of the jobs, um, maintain those those relevant skills that are difficult to replace by AI, uh, and always have that growth mindset. Always want to be learning and adapting. Um, tapping into the creativity, which is you know mindfulness in and of itself, um, the, and then coming back what I mentioned before that critical thinking and interpersonal side of things, learning how to communicate with other human beings, learning how to show empathy and compassion, um, and and being open to that. I think that's really what's going to allow us to maintain some type of employment in a world that is going to be largely replaced by AI, if not replaced, at least changed by AI. Yeah, no, I think it's well said, and it goes 100% in alignment with a recent conference that I went to, TechServe Alliance, sharing mm -hmm. the same type of, type of labor law or labor statistics, saying that with the next couple years, many, many millions of jobs are going to go away, the automated type jobs. But the good news, to add to what you said, is that we're going to have a huge need for people to operate that AI. So right. we're going to have people behind the AI. And then also spot on, the soft skills are so important. A machine can't replace that. And what right. they had was possibly for the next hundred years, a machine's not really going to know how to negotiate or to really read another human being or right. to, to share you know, deeper experiences. So well said. Um, I wanted to, I guess, press a little bit and learn what type of super cool AI applications have you seen that's coming down the pike? <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to share too much of what we've got coming down, but I tell, I will tell you some of our our bread and butter is the um, the augmented reality maintenance and repair systems that we have. Um, you know, people can take their phones out to an aircraft and you know, bring the aircraft up in their phone and walk around the aircraft and see parts and pieces um, labeled and highlighted on their phone or on their tablet or on their computer, or if they're ne going next level, even on their AR headset, they can walk around these, these aircrafts, these um, pieces of equipment that need maintenance and repair and, and see 
someone maintaining it in their goggles, right? Or on their phone. It's basically like many of us do these days, right? We, if we have maintenance to do on our car or repair to do on our car, if we don't take it into the repair shop, we look it up on YouTube and we push play and we watch, you know, 30 seconds, we do that step. Then we push play again, do that step. And this allows those videos and those maintenance procedures to be right there on your phone or right there in your headset. Those are some of them. Um, outside of what 3D Media does, uh, I know uh, Red Six is another organization that works in this space, and they have some phenomenal AR, um, like flight goggles. They actually incorporate into the flight helmet of a pilot, and the pilot can look around while they're flying, and he or she can see augmented reality um, enemy aircraft refueling oh, platforms yeah. so they can train without you know wow. another aircraft in the air wow. so it's pretty pretty amazing what what's out there but really i think we are only limited by current technology and by our own imagination but there's there is so much coming down the pike i mean we could be here for hours discussing what's uh what's coming no that's super cool that is really really cool that seems like a more effective way of training too i think yeah for sure training sitting in a little box but really you're off flying a plane that is super cool right so let's transition to what all of your starstruck fans would love to hear about life of a navy seal so <laughs> what i guess question wise what do you feel like you learn in the military that really translates and helps you in the corporate work world today sure i remember uh you know, when, when I had been in the SEAL teams for about six years, maybe five or six years, and I started to look at the outside world and I started applying for jobs, I applied to, I won't name any particular names of organizations, but they came back and they said, well, you've, you've been a SEAL this time, during this time, what do you know about leadership and management? <laughs> and uh, I had to laugh because I, honestly, I, I felt that I, I, probably knew more than a lot of the people that they hired specifically for those roles. But I didn't say anything. I just rolled with it. And I actually ended up staying in because I decided that that's what I wanted to do. And that's what was best for me at the time and for my family at the time. So I, I ended up staying in and then I got out in August of 2020. And I believe that the same skills that I had after five or six years were just further honed in the military. So what I mean by that, um, I believe that the soft skills, we talked about the soft skills that humans have. I think those skills were definitely taught in the military, either directly or indirectly. So leadership, um, management, networking, collaboration, that creativity, ingenuity, thinking outside the box, uh, being able to operate in what's called the VUCA environment, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, being able to really work in those spaces because that's where you work in the military. You are in a VUCA environment most of the time. The ability to respond to crises um, versus reacting, so actually tapping into that, that response versus reaction, time management, uh, asset allocation, financial management, to a point. I will admit that uh, when when you look at military evals or evaluations, a lot of the time you'll see somebody who's managed millions of dollars on the budget uh, on their on their eval. But uh, but in all honesty, you you only barely touch that. Most of us. I was an executive officer in the SEAL teams, 
and uh, I had I had a budget of millions of dollars that I quote unquote managed, but I really had other people to do that for me. But there are there are definitely financial uh, literacy that there is financial literacy that you learn, but there's still a lot more to be learned um, in that side of things. But I think that the soft skills that that leadership, the the management, the networking, collaboration. Um, that creativity, all those human sides coming back to AI uh, versus versus the human being. It's the human jobs that we learn while we're in the military. Yeah, no, well said. One of my my other questions, you sort of touched on it too, was going to be, there's people listening who are managers. And I think you have such robust experience with the military background. And it's almost, it's funny to me too, when you're being interviewed for positions and they think you don't have leadership experience. Uh, really, that's funny. Right. I'm glad there's a shift in that in hiring to be more sure. open-minded now. But yes. so for folks who are listening, who are managers and are dealing with really adverse situations, maybe not VUCA level, but challenging adversity, what are some practical tips that you could offer them as they're dealing with really challenging situations and managing a team? What are your thoughts? Sure. Well, I think one is as a leader, be human. Um, two is admit when you don't know everything as the leader or as the manager. You know, you can learn a lot from your team and you can also bond to your team by being open and vulnerable about the fact that you don't know everything or the fact that you maybe messed something up. I think that's critical. I think some of the other sides of it are intentionally training in adverse conditions and environments, training, um, training when you want to and when you don't. Training with all the assets and supplies uh, you need and without them. Training with your full team and only a part of the team. Training in that that good weather and the bad. And you know we have a saying in the SEAL teams or in special operations that you don't rise to the occasion. We sink to the level of our training. So I think training and preparing for the worst, always, 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 always training for the worst, preparing for the worst. Uh, that's what's going to allow you as a team to get through those adverse conditions. Because again, when that adverse condition arises, you're not going to rise to the occasion. You're going to sink to the level of your training. I did uh, like an anecdote. Um, I, I think you may have seen some of this on social media last, last year. I was doing a half Ironman. I was challenged by a friend of mine, Andy Reese, who's an army uh, guy, army lieutenant colonel retired. And he and I had a little head-to-head -head challenge going on for this half Ironman. And I trained here in Colorado Springs, which uh, if you know Colorado Springs, it doesn't rain a whole lot. It's pretty rare that it rains. So I was training in, you know, this beautiful weather. It was cold at times, but it was mostly sunny. Um, and then I get to the race and it's raining. It's oh. raining for the swim, which doesn't sound like much of a complication, but it stung. It literally stung. It was raining so hard in Waco, Texas. And then for the, for the bike ride, it, it rained for... Uh, a good like 95% of the bike ride. And then you get off the bike and it's super humid. And, and now it gets up to 90 degrees and it's, you know, the, the sidewalks and the roadways are steaming. And oh, I, again, I'm coming from Colorado where it doesn't get super hot and it doesn't get super humid. 
And I tell you, I sunk to the lowest level of my training. I did not do as well in that race as I could have because I didn't train in the rain. Now it's hard to replicate rain here in Colorado Springs, but I didn't train in the rain. I trained in the beautiful sunny weather. I did a lot of my training on the bike on a trainer inside my garage. I didn't even get out on the road. I finished the race. I did finish, but not nearly as fast as I would have liked to have. And sure, that's just a very simple anecdote, but it's what popped into my mind when I talk about training in, in any environment. We have to train in any environment, whether that's weather environment or it's an environment that's in our office. Maybe it's a bad culture. Maybe maybe it's a bad person, a toxic individual, figuring out how to work with that person, figuring out how to work within certain time constraints. Um, so we have to just continually, I believe, simulate adversity so that when the adversity is real then we then we can actually get through it yeah excellent i remember your friendly friendly rivalry that is such yeah. a good anecdote so the two main things i heard from you are be human love that and to train yeah. to be yes. ready prepare for the worst i mean simple right. and so true mindfulness that was <laughs> one of the ways that you and i really connected you had right. such powerful nuggets to share you mentioned a little bit that your journey began really in the shooting range. Can you elaborate a little bit? Like, tell yeah. us about what is mindfulness? Tell us about it. Yeah, sure. So again, mindfulness is really nothing more than being aware in, of the present moment, being aware of both your physical and emotional feelings mm -hmm. and doing so, having that awareness without any judgment. That's how it's defined by John Kabat-Zinn, who, who is kind of attributed to being the father of mindfulness in the West. He certainly didn't found it, but he's kind of brought it to the West and kind of explained it on, in layman's terms. Um, as far as me and mindfulness, before I ever knew that I was practicing mindfulness, we were taught this exercise called box breathing, which is all you do really is breathe in for a count of four, hold for a count of four, breathe out for a count of four, hold for a count of four, and you do that four or five times. And the reason it's called box breathing, for those of you who are listening and aren't able to see what I just did, as I breathe in, that's the first box, or that's the first edge of the box. As I hold for a count of four, that's the top of the box. As I breathe out, that's the other edge of the box. And as I hold again, that's the bottom of the box. And that's, it helps you to tap into what's called the parasympathetic side of our nervous system. Our autonomic nervous system is divided into the sympathetic and parasympathetic sides. Sympathetic is the fight, fight, or freeze part. That's what's there to defend us from threats, to react if we need to. And it takes all the other systems and shuts them down and focuses all the, the energy onto survival. That's kind of the red of the race car, if you will. The other side of the autonomic nervous system is the parasympathetic. You can kind of envision a parachute, if you will. That parasympathetic side of our nervous system is the rest and digest. It's there to keep us calm, to help us get through the, the day uh, you know, regularly without tapping into that red side. The downside is most of us live in that red. Now, coming back to why I learned it on the shooting range was a lot of the time when you first get on a weapon, and you're on the on the shooting range and you're trying to score really well, you get anxious, you get nervous, and your heart rate goes up, your respiratory rate goes up. And I was taught on the shooting range the, the box breath. Nobody's called it mindfulness. They just said, hey, I just want you to breathe in this way, do some box breathing, and that'll help to settle your heart rate. It'll lower your blood pressure. It'll decrease your respiratory rate, and you're going to be able to shoot better. You're going to be able to shoot between heartbeats. You're going to be able to shoot between breaths. So I learned it on the shooting range. Now, fast forward, 
you know, 10, 15 years and I'm in the counselor's office and I'm again, struggling with my own anxiety and, and depression and stress. And a counselor recommended mindfulness and meditation to me. And at first I laughed at him, but then he kind of sold it to me as a performance enhancing aspect, something that would improve my, my performance physically and mentally, personally and professionally. And I, I took it and very being a Taipei personality, I was like, well, I'm just going to go download the latest meditation app on my phone and I'm going to meditate for an hour. And I, I tried, I tried to meditate for an hour and that lasted all of about 17 seconds. And I went back to that same doc. I'm like, Hey man, I, I couldn't do that meditation. I really struggle with it. Um, and he, he introduced me to none other than box breathing. And so I, I was like, oh man, I used to do this on the shooting range. And he's like, yeah, well, you've been doing, um, you've been doing mindfulness. You've been doing meditation. It just hasn't been called such. So I, I continued to do some of the box breathing throughout my day. And I started to see how it did bring down my stress levels. It did help to improve my performance. And then over time, I started to tap into the longer, more in-depth meditations. And that allowed me to really change the way that I felt, the way that I performed and the way that I saw things quite literally with my eyes, but also uh, figuratively. So uh, I changed the way that I felt. And it got to the point where I had someone come up to me and they're like, hey, buddy, what, what are you on? Like asking me what kind of medication I was on. And I was like, well, I'm not on any medication. I'm actually uh, on meditation. And yeah, it, it took off from there. I started to see the light bulb glowing over my head and saying, you know what, I could do this as a profession. So uh, that's what I do now for uh, for my job is I again, teach leadership and management. And then uh, ideally, a part of that is if the if the person learning is open to it, I bring in the mindfulness and meditation. Yeah, well, you sure an expert in it, because whenever I think of flight or fight, I always think of running around in the beginning being chased by an animal, you right. know, big men, cave women, or even in your situation, being in the military, that really is life or death. But to me, the curious part is it seems like there's an epidemic of mental health in our modern world where we're yeah. always in fight or flight, except that's right. No one's really exactly. after us. We're just stressed out. We're typing, there's deadlines. And right. the same rules apply because our bodies process the stress the same way. So I think it's exactly. incredible what you're exactly. sharing. Yeah, they, they do. They, they, they perceive those emails, those social media notifications, <laughs> those text messages, the traffic, they perceive it, our bodies perceive that as a threat. Yeah, because in this day and age, fortunately, there are not as many threats, right? Actual life threatening events. Yeah. There's not saber tooth tigers around the corner. There's, you know, we're not going out with our, our clubs to, to fight for our meat every night. But there are still quote unquote threats and our body mm -hmm. thinks those threats are the mm -hmm. emails, the social media, the notifications, the traffic, yeah. uh, you know? Yes. Um, so yeah, we are constantly living in that red um, and we need to be tapping more into that green side of things and, and living that more rest and digest or calm side of things. And it really makes a difference in how you live your life and how you feel about your life. So it's uh, it's pretty amazing once you do actually start practicing. Yeah, it, it was funny. Even while you were sharing about it, I was trying to do the box breathing. As you were <laughs> I felt calmer because those emails got to deflect for the haters on social, right? That's right. That's right. So, yes. No, it's great. You're really making a huge impact. Well, you're making thank you. Waves. Even on social media, you have so many followers. So 
I do just want to say thank you for the work you're doing and thank you for serving our country the way you did. Yeah, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. It's, it was a unique honor and a privilege to have served and to now continue to serve just in a different capacity. But Laura, real quick before we go, um, I, I know that we have, you had a question that, yes. that you didn't actually ask and it was about, um, it was about chat GBT and how artificial intelligence is playing into the augmented reality work that we yes. do with 3D media. And I, I just want to come back to that because it's, there's an interesting piece here. And uh, I, I believe that AI, it plays a role in both the development and the enhancement of AR of the augmented reality experiences. And that's through the object recognition and tracking, um, scene understanding. So like AI can actually analyze the environment and, and provide AR applications, that information to make sure that the, the content it provides is accurate. Um, it has the NLP or natural language processing, which enables AR to actually respond to our language, right? It actually allows us to interact with them. And then uh, users can communicate with, with that AR through that speech or text. I mean, chat GPT is an example of it, right? We, we type in something and, and it spits out a, a response that it looks like and sounds like a human actually typed it. Um, AI enables the AR piece and the virtual reality side, gen, uh, not gender recognition, that, that would be pretty amazing, but gesture recognition. So like I have a camera that if I, uh, if I do a certain movement, the camera is going to respond in a certain way. It's going to flip or it's going to turn on a, a different application. Um, and, and I'm sure there are other ways, uh, but ultimately AI can create that more interactive and personalized context to where AR applications. And, and here's the kicker, Laura, and this is why I came back to it. That whole response right there was generated by AI. I literally went into AI and typed in, where's AI and AR come together? And that was the response. <laughs> Isn't that wild? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy. ChatGPT and the other ones that are out there, uh, they are, they're great, but there's definitely going to be, uh, there's definitely going to have to be some uh, rules that come into play, right? Like uh, they can't be used to write a, a term paper at school anymore or anything like that. I mean, like what we were we were worried about when we were in college was we write the term paper and we had to make sure that it was annotated correctly and, and we gave all the resources. Now it's just hard to tell what was generated by AI yeah. and what was not. So anyhow, I just thought it was funny how I, I typed in that <laughs> that whole response was all AI. <laughs> oh my goodness. That is yeah. that is really crazy. It's kind right? of it's cool and it's scary and it's interesting. Yeah. It's it's a new world we're stepping into. It's, it's it? incredible. Yeah, I was on a uh, I was on a Zoom call earlier and Zoom has this thing called Fathom now built into it that you can have built into it. And at the very end of the call, literally within like three seconds, I get an email and it's it's summarized my one hour call into five paragraphs and it's names us. And it's I mean, it's it's freaky how accurate it was uh, within you know five seconds of hanging up. So anyhow, there's a, there's a lot of it is cool. It's great. It's very handy for note taking, but it's also uh, we have to manage it and we have to manage our expectations and use of it. So, yeah, I just wanted to make sure I came back for that. No, I love it. That's so that's so neat. And for our listeners who've enjoyed this today, go ahead, like, and subscribe. And John, did you want to share a little more about yourself and where people can sure. find you and what you have going on? 
Yeah, sure. The probably the easiest way to, to get a hold of me is if you go to johnmccaskill.com forward slash links. That'll take you to my social media, different accounts, my uh, various entrepreneurial endeavors, and what I do with 3D Media. So it's just John, J-O-N, McCaskill, M-A-C-A-S-K-I-L-L.com forward slash links, and that'll take you to everything. Perfect. And we'll also include that when we go live on our podcast. Yeah. Great. John, thank you for being here with me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.